one of the things that we, we've spent a lot of time on is, is uh, the design of the vehicle, mm-hmm. right? Um, the, we want to make sure that uh, the first robotic vehicle driving down your neighborhood don't feel like some kind of, you know, robocops and robotic or spaceship <laughs> <laughs> coming to take over your communities. Yeah. This was fun. Yeah, we have a podcast in store for y'all today. We were chatting with Petch of Neuro, which is an autonomous vehicle company, and I learned a ton. I really enjoyed it. I love his energy and his passion, and also the the cars are just cute. They're adorable. You got to check out these autonomous vehicles. But I think it's Neuro.ai, right? It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, and so exciting to learn about all the use cases of how we'll be using autonomous vehicles in future from delivering our groceries to our mail to other goods and services more interesting too is just how those vehicles are manufactured and the amount of testing and simulation that goes into them to make them safe for us i also loved learning about the education that needs to happen both ways between communities so that we understand what avs are and also the companies that are producing AVs so that they know what we as humans want from them and what feels accessible and exciting for us. So enjoy, guys. Enjoy. Hi. Hi, Jennifer. It's been a it's while. so good to see you. So <laughs> great to see you. Really excited for this conversation. Me too. Thanks so much for coming. I'm super excited to learn about this space. So, Patch, the future is here with artificial intelligence, virtual reality, autonomous vehicles. There's all these acronyms that are flying about here and there. My question for you is, did you see it coming? Were you into all of these movies like iRobot, Minority <laughs> Report, Back to the Future? Yeah, I'm sad to admit that I do love all those movies <laughs> and I love, I love sci-fi movies. Uh, and, and hey, there's no movies. sadness in that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's always fun to kind of see what what the future could be, and also yeah. we're working on making some uh, portions of this future happen as well. Uh, and, and my my dream is one day, you know, we will be able, we will be a, a space faring species and be able to go hop between planets. Uh, that's that's sort of like my hopes and dreams for the future. Yeah, I think Elon and Jeff Bezos and Virgin are all making progress toward that for us too. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) All right, so we're going to be chatting mostly about autonomous vehicles. And from now on, uh, we can use the acronym AV. But before we dive into that, it would be really helpful to have a definition so that we're all on the same page. Would you be able to define it for us and then have us understand what the impact to us is with autonomous vehicles? Yeah, great question, uh, Jennifer. At, at a high level, I would imagine that most people think that they know what autonomous vehicles are. Uh, these are the cars that can drive themselves, so you no longer need a driver, you no longer need a steering wheel anymore, right? And that would uh, open up the opportunities for people to use their time better, the time that they have to kind of sit inside the vehicles, commuting to work and paying attention to road traffic, or the time that they have to uh, hop inside their car and drive to a local grocery store to do uh, grocery shopping or to, to get takeout, right? So at a high level, that's that's really what autonomous vehicles are. With that, that sounds amazing. Said, uh, within, within our industry, 
uh, we have different levels uh, of autonomous vehicles uh, from anywhere from L1, L2, L3, all the way to L5, L4, and L5. And uh, those who follow uh, the industry may have heard of these kind of different levels of automating, of automating vehicles before. Uh, most of the cars that we might own uh, and have some versions of driver, driving assistance systems uh, built in are usually kind of L2 or L3 systems. And then uh, most of the autonomous vehicles that people envision, people imagine when they see a sci-fi movie tend to be sort of L4, L5 uh, levels. And the definition is with L4, L5, you no longer need human intervention. So you can take out the seat mm. completely and the car just kind of operate on their own versus sort of L2, L3 levels. You need to have steering wheel. You need to take control from time to time. You still have to pay attention to a road. Even when uh, the car uh, may be able to help you on some of the basic uh, tasks on the road. Got it. Wow, that's fascinating. I'm so curious where we are today. What's the landscape look like? What type, what category of L vehicles are we at? Yeah, so the, the vehicles that are being sold in the markets right now, uh, you, you have some L2, um, so most, most famously Tesla's current autopilot system, uh, that's usually considered an L2 system. Again, you know, it's, it's a system where uh, it can help automate some of the driving, uh, but you still, uh, the human driver still has to be in control, still has yeah. to pay attention to the road. Most of the AV companies that you might have heard of uh, that are working towards kind of that long-term future are now focusing on L4 which is, again, uh, you know, mm. cars be able to drive on their own, no steering wheel needed, uh, no uh, brake, no, you know, no longer to uh, control the vehicles anymore. But you do, the cars will operate in sort of a more of a limited area. They can't go anywhere and everywhere quite yet. So that's a definition of L4, which is where we are working towards. Got it. What are these areas? Is this like the autonomous or the driverless highways regions that we hear about in California, perhaps like in Michigan, in Arizona? Yeah. So for most of the AV companies that are, that are working in the L4, level four area, uh, they tend to pick one area to start and make sure that they pre-map that area, they validate that area by driving uh, thousands and thousands, if not millions of miles and use these miles in those areas, put them into a simulation engine. And so you can test these areas really, really well. So depending on from company to company, they might have different uh, operating areas. For us, uh, Neuro, we're currently operating in uh, three primary locations. Uh, one in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, in the South Bay Area, Mount View, Palo Alto, Sunnyvale, that area. Uh, we also have an operation in Houston. We also have an operation in uh, in Phoenix, Arizona as well. So that's kind of our uh, our definition of limiting uh, limited areas, limiting operating areas. Uh, there are a couple of companies, uh, our peers, who are operating in the city of San Francisco. Uh, there are a couple of trucking companies that are operating in certain segments of interstate highways in Texas or in Arizona. And uh, for all of these L4 companies, uh, they cannot quite go beyond, they, can, they can't just go to new areas uh, without having uh, pre-mapped the areas, tested the areas, uh, validate the areas first. And that's the definition of L4. Again, if you get to L5, that's sort of like the ultimate dream for self-driving mm -hmm. cars. The idea is that when you get to that point, 
uh, vehicles can go anywhere. They can, you can plop the vehicle into a new area. They have not seen that area before, and they will be able to operate in that area right away. That's not what we're currently aiming for, as along with uh, all, most of the uh, most of the well-known AV companies. We're all aiming for sort of L four kind of limiting limited area operations. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. So then this brings me to my next question, which is. You're head of commercialization at Neuro, which is one of the AV companies out there. What are you guys looking to accomplish with Neuro? What are you hoping to build? Yeah, so let's start from the beginning, like how how we got here, like what what is Neuro aiming to do? And there, there are yeah. quite a few AV companies. Like, why do we need another AV company? Yeah. So from the start, uh, our, our two founders, uh, Dave and Jay Z. They were part of Google self-driving car project from the beginning. Uh, and by the time they got to 2016, they had been in that industry, in this industry for 10 years or so already. And they noticed that with the new technology, it's all about finding the right use cases so that you can get the technology started right away. It's not always about aiming for the end first. It's about finding the beach head. So finding the first use case that makes sense, that is uh, doable, that is uh, the right uh, the right use case for the, the state of the technology. And what they realized uh, back in 2016 was that passenger uh, AV was going to take longer. Was we, we are going to get there. But passenger AV had a higher requirements for a number of reasons. Let me start with a very with a basic example, uh, Jennifer, right? Yeah. Imagine if you want, want to get from uh, point A to point B and you're inside a vehicle. If you want the vehicle, the driver to drive really safely, the driver uh, should probably drive like your grandparents would, right? <laughs> uh, the driver should probably drive super conservatively, always uh, stay within a you know, sp- uh, speed limit. Uh, if there's a plastic bag flying by and they're not sure if there's a plastic bag or a cat, then we should probably slow down, right? If they're going to get into a really complex intersection where there are roads coming from multiple directions, they may want to take a quick detour around that intersection, right? Uh, and if we want the system to be really safe, we're going to have to do all these things. With that being said, if you're a passenger inside a vehicle like that, you would probably be really annoyed and frustrated to have your Uber driver stop every time there's a plastic bag flying by, to have your Uber driver drive, you know, really conservatively, right? And right. having other vehicles overtaking you all the time. So uh, our two founders kind of noticed this trade-off between sort of like passenger comfort and passenger preferences and safety, right? Uh-huh. And they realized that with passenger AV, you always kind of have that, that trade-off that you have to deal with. Do you, you know, save the passenger first? You save people outside, you go for the comfort of the people inside, you go for the safety of people outside. And what they realized was by removing passengers completely, we get to optimize all the way for safety, right? Mm. We got to do a lot of really unique uh, optimizations. Like, you know, um, if we're going to uh, encounter a, a more difficult, you know, tricky intersection. We may take a one, two minute detour, which by the way, your burrito doesn't mind, right? You <laughs> might get your burrito one minute later, but that's okay, right? Uh, we get to be safer. Similarly, we get to respect all the traffic laws, traffic rules, uh, without annoying the pizza that we carry, right? Uh, in case of an accident, 
we get to build the vehicle to kind of be extra safe for the people outside. In fact, you know, the, the vehicle is uh, almost self-sacrifice. We build a vehicle, the front of the vehicle is built out of soft material that crumble, that absorbs in energy to protect people outside. Because again, the worst case scenario for us is, you know, we, we destroy the pizza inside, right? Uh, but again, yeah. we get to save lives outside. So there's a lot of really unique innovations and optimizations that we can do once we don't have passengers inside anymore. Uh, so with that, that was kind of the original insight that they had, that uh, delivery, AV, that uh, moving things rather than moving people was going to be the best, the first, the safest use case for AV technology. Uh, and with that, uh, they decided to leave uh, Google in 2016, about six years ago, to start uh, Neuro. So back to your question on what, what are we trying to accomplish uh, at Neuro and my, my role in commercialization? What we are trying to accomplish here is we believe that AV robotics technology is going to save lives, it's going to have massive impact on the world, it's going to save time, it's going to save money, it's going to take out uh, internal combustion engine vehicles from the roads. And the yeah. mission is to find a way to accelerate the timeline for adoption, for commercialization, for deployment of this technology as best as we can. And we believe that our best strategy is by focusing on last mile logistics, is by focusing on delivery. And that's sort of the, the mission for the company. Very exciting. I want to touch on this concept of safety that you mentioned and highlighted as key here. With AVs, you're able to focus on safety and really perfect that before you start to include human beings in these vehicles. Can you speak to safety and how the neuro team and the AV industry in general is addressing that? Yeah. So first of all, we have to recognize that, you know, driving is still a really complex and difficult task, right? Every year, tens yeah. of thousands of Americans lose their lives on, on roads. Uh, so ultimately, uh, we aim to try to get better than human drivers uh, so that we can start saving lives. Uh, so that's kind of the crux of the safety premise uh, around autonomous vehicles. Autonomous vehicles, uh, you know, with the sensors all around them will not have blind spots. Autonomous vehicles with the fact that, you know, it's, it's run by machines and not going to get, you know, sleepy and, and fall asleep on the wheels and not going right. to drink and not going to text and not going to get distracted, right? Once they are well-trained, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and ultimately, that's what we are aiming for. Uh, so a, a big part of what we do is we have to prove to ourselves and the world that we are going to be safer than a human driver. So the way we do it is as uh, along the journey, as we, as we build our system, we also test our system as well. Part of our testing happens on roads, but majority of our testing actually happens elsewhere that people don't actually see. So we have a, a private closed course facility in Las Vegas. And this is actually really fun, Jennifer. And, you know, <laughs> we, you, we, we would love to have yeah. you over sometime. Amazing. Uh, we took I'm over. There. Yeah, we took over this racetrack in Las Vegas uh, during COVID and we uh, kind of rechanged um, the, the whole facility and now it's just ours. And we created a mock city. There are different types of intersections that you may find in California and Texas. And by the way, you know, the traffic lights and intersections in Texas are different from those in California. You have right. different types of 
roads. Uh, you have different types of roundabouts and cul-de-sacs, and we created all of this wow. in uh, in, a, in a mock city in Las Vegas. And that's a facility that we use to train our our vehicles, and we get to test a lot of edge cases. That Jennifer, right. in your lifetime, you might drive a hundred, two hundred thousand miles, <clears throat> um, and you might not see a lot of these edge cases. Edge cases right. like. Maybe it's a three-year-old kid rolling down on a skateboard <laughs> while a dog chasing them, right? Oh, um, goodness, and like, yeah. you know, these edge cases that are really important in terms of we could, if we're going to train the world's best driver, we have to be mm -hmm. able to see all these edge cases. And because we own this facility, we get to, uh, you know, really replicate these edge cases that you may find once in millions and millions of miles on a daily basis to pressure test our system. But this, that's a part of our uh, way of Approach. validating uh, and testing yeah. the system. But on top of that, we also have a simulation where we collect real-world miles and then we make adjustments to these real-world miles. So for every one mile that we drive, we may try to change, okay, what happens if that car gets there one second later, 10 seconds later? What if that uh, biker is a little bit more aggressive and cuts in front of us? And we create hundreds wow. and hundreds of scenes based on these real-world miles that we collect. And then we use them to try to uh, trick our software system, uh, try mm -hmm. to see how they would handle these real world scenarios that we actually see in a simulation. So even when, even before we put our autonomous vehicles on road, we already know that they are incredibly safe because we've simulated them over millions and millions of miles, right? But ultimately, then once we go through uh, all this process, then we start uh, putting our uh, vehicles on roads initially with safety drivers. This right. is even after we already test uh, in our private facility, test in the simulation, right? Uh, we still want to make sure that we are extra safe. So we're going to have safety driver first. And then once we are ready, once we pass uh, all the safety bars uh, that we have set for ourselves, then mm -hmm. that's when we start deploying our autonomous vehicles uh, for real without safety drivers. So within our industry, uh, operating vehicles without safety drivers or, or, or generally what we call a driverless mode continues right. to be the highest bar, continues to be the most difficult achievement and milestone to get to because that's when you no longer have a training wheel. You no longer have a human there helping the robots out, right? And, and we are among uh, one of the few companies that have reached that state, start operating mm. vehicles without a safety driver's present. Wow. So your mock city sounds so fun. And I just learned something new. I didn't realize all the simulation that goes even before you have them test out in the mock city. And then on top of that, you go into the wild, into an actual city with a safety driver. I know that you guys won the approval to be able to have your cars out in three states. And my understanding is that's tough to be able to accomplish. What are some of the barriers or bars that you need to pass to be able to operate in states today in the wild? Yeah, Jennifer. So uh, from a regulatory standpoint, uh, so there are generally kind of two layers, two levels of regulatory, regul regulatory bodies we have to work with. Usually a simple mental model is the federal level uh, regulates what vehicles can go on roads in the United States. The state level regulates who can drive these vehicles. Okay. And hence, you you, if you want to drive a license, you have to go to the state DMV. When you move to a new state, you have to go to a new state right. DMV to get, your, yes. to get a new license from that state. 
right? So that's kind of uh, that's a simplified mental model. In reality, is a lot more complex than that. So what we have to do is we have to first work with the federal body. And in this case, it's NHTSA, uh, National Highway Safety Transportation Agency, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that body regulates uh, what kind of vehicles can go on roads. Uh, and then we have to work with, uh, with the state bodies to make sure that our system uh, can operate in the, in the state. We were the first company to receive exemption from NHTSA, from the federal government, uh, to allow to get our AV vehicles on public roads, and, and today we're still the only company uh, that has achieved that. Congrats! Uh, that, was, that was pretty. That's pretty exciting uh, yeah. because there's a lot of rules and, and requirements around what do you, what you need inside a vehicle. As you can imagine, uh, vehicles with vehicle safety is really critical, right? So there yeah. are all the rules around uh, steering wheels, around like you know the brake, around you know how everything from like windshield wiper, you know rear view cameras. You have to be able to meet uh, before you can put a vehicle on road. But when it comes to autonomous vehicles, not all of these requirements are applicable to autonomous autonomous vehicles anymore. Uh, but at the same time, those rules are still in place. Uh, so mm-hmm. what we what we did was we worked with NHTSA to make sure that all the requirements uh, that you know autonomous vehicles that might not be necessary for the safety of autonomous vehicles, uh, we don't have to follow them to the letter of the law anymore because they are no longer they are not applicable to autonomous vehicles. Uh, and uh, we got them uh, comfortable, right, uh, with kind of where we are. Um, yeah. And that they decided that they that Euros vehicles are going to be the first fully autonomous vehicles to be allowed on public roads. So that's kind of like, you know, the process that we had to go through. With this kit, um, so we have a commercial deployment permit. Uh, we were the first company to get a commercial deployment permit from the state of California, which allows us to operate an autonomous vehicle service while also charging for revenue as well. And for that part, we had to show them to prove to them our safety procedure uh, like what we have tested our system on and what we're going to do in case of uh, in any incident that may happen. We have to work with them to get them comfortable with our procedures and get them comfortable with sort of uh, the limited areas and operate operations uh, that we were going to deploy our vehicles in. Uh, and through that process, uh, they kind of got to, to see our safety procedures, how we um, have handled all the testing and validation, and they got comfortable. And with that, you know, they allowed our system uh, to be the first commercial system uh, to have that permit in California. Congrats. So sounds like they look at your safety standards, how much testing you've done, and feel comfortable with how your vehicle would operate in various circumstances, which you've simulated them through. And then on the state level, it sounds like making sure that the state is comfortable with the type of vehicle. In this case, does your AV have a a steering wheel, for instance, and and these components that require a driver? Yes. You know, the federal government is about making sure that our hardware, our vehicles kind of meet all all the requirements. And for the requirements Mm -hmm. that are not applicable to AV, we have to show to them why they might not be applicable. Uh, okay. Right, and with that, uh, you know, we got them got them comfortable with the with the vehicles, and then with with us at the at the state level, uh, yes, it's kind of getting them, you know, really kind of proving to them our whole uh, system process and procedure, and showing them the end to end from how we validate our system, how many miles have we tested, sort of findings uh, we have, 
how we are planning in case of emergency uh, and making sure mm-hmm. that we have sort of end-to-end what we call safety management system or SMS. Uh, and, and with that, kind of got them comfortable with uh, us operating uh, a delivery service uh, in the state. Well, that makes me feel safe and comfortable. I wanted to talk as well about sustainability. So these vehicles are also sustainable. Tell me how. Yeah, Jennifer, um, take a step back. This is a number that is really mind-boggling to me. Uh, so when you think of getting inside a car, when you think about vehicles, when you think about driving somewhere, people tend to think about, um, okay, so like, you know, I get, I get on a car because I want to go somewhere. It's because, you know, I want to go to work. I want to go see some friends. I want to go visit some family. I want to go on a road trip. But actually, more than 40% of the vehicle trips um, that Americans do on a daily basis for shopping and errands. Yeah. Um, almost half of the vehicle trips, you get inside the vehicle to go get things, not to go somewhere, not to be somewhere. These are like the, the, the trip where you, you hop on this 4,000 pound internal combustion engine just to go to a local store to pick up one carton of milk, right? Right. If you think about it, these trips don't make a lot of sense. Like you just like driving this, uh, these vehicles that are really bad for the environment uh, yeah. and go to a, go to a store, find, you know, loop around for five minutes looking for a parking spot, go inside the store, right? Like these trips can be a lot more efficient if things just come to you. Oh, right? I love you that. Like you don't, like for these trips, 40% of the trips, you don't even have to hop inside a vehicle. Right, it's mm-hmm. not about, or like you know, making the the journey more more pleasant. Like the, these journeys should not happen to begin right. with. Like you should, right? Things should just come to you instead. So, our vision is to kind of turn this all around for these forty percent of the trips that that you don't even need to go somewhere. Why don't we just have really lightweight, fully electric vehicles that go run errands for you? Let's go get things that you need from a local supermarket. Go get, go get you know, dry cleaning uh, that you sent a few days ago and you don't have to go to a local shop. Go, you know, like if you have to go drop off some stuff for your friend, uh, right? Because like, you know, you borrow like something for them last week. Why don't you just send uh, this really lightweight, safe, uh, friendly electric vehicle to go do that for you, right? So yeah. that's our vision to take 40% of the trips out of the roads completely. Right. And, and the, the point of that is, aside from like, you know, us saving time, we get to uh, create a, a more, more sustainable environment as, as well. From the start, from the beginning, six years ago, our vision was these vehicles got to be fully electric. And at that point, the battery technology wasn't amazing yet. It was really expensive. Battery uh, density wasn't quite there. But we knew from day one that if we were going to do this right, uh, the future belongs to electric, fully electric vehicles, right? Uh, we have to make sure we take internal combustion engines uh, out. Uh, and that has been our vision from day one. And I'm, I'm happy that uh, Neuro yeah. has been partnering with uh, one of the largest uh, electric vehicle manufacturers in the world, BYD North America, uh, to produce it, these vehicles. We designed vehicles from them, uh, with them from the ground up, and we are building joint <laughs> facilities uh, in order to uh, manufacture these fully electric vehicles. That's so exciting. So I don't love doing errands. I Secret. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I, I think and... most of us don't love doing errands. 
<laughs> and so just the idea of being able to have, like we do grocery shopping now sometimes when you can order groceries to your home, depending on where you live. And just the idea of that becoming widespread and accessible and affordable to most folks and dry cleaning, et cetera, I think just hops on technology being able to make things more efficient for us and hopefully for the better. And I love that this can be sustainable. So I want to talk about the use cases here today that exist. But before we get there, I'm so curious, when will we be able to have an autonomous vehicle, an AV for our own home? Is that on the horizon? Does that become like an L5 vehicle though? Is that a bit out in the future? Yeah, I think most most people in industry believe that uh, that the first uh, version of of AV is most likely going to be in fleets uh, okay. because they are going to have some restrictions on where they can go. Uh, again, you know that's part of L four definition, and hence yeah. it makes more sense for them to kind of operate locally, either a local delivery service or a local ride hailing service. Yeah. For an AV vehicle that you can buy, uh, they would have to be able to go anywhere. Uh, and that would right. be kind of closer to an L5. So I would say that those are uh, a little bit further out. Uh, I think depending on, on who you are in the industry. Who you ask, yeah. Tesla, <laughs> uh, yeah, who you ask. Uh, Tesla believes that uh, they would be able to get to an L5 soon. Uh, I, I believe that, you know, getting to L5 uh, is still uh, an incredibly challenging task, uh, technically speaking. So I, I think in the horizon, in the immediate horizon, you're going to see kind of more of L4 uh, local, uh, locally operated AVs first. Right. And can you tell me about the incredibly challenging piece there, which I can begin to wrap my head around that, right? It, to me, it feels like just even mapping all the roads and then just thinking about all the potential scenarios that could come up. You mentioned earlier, you could have a cat that's followed by a bag and how does the vehicle operate there and make a calculation of, do I stop? Do I hit the cat? Do I hit the bag? How do I protect the lies inside the vehicle? Just multiplied by a million and 12 scenarios. So I can see how complex that is, but what's your view of the, the major challenge there? Yeah, Jennifer, exa- exactly what you, what you mentioned. Um, when you go into a new, a new operating area, there's always a new set of challenges. Uh, right. Uh, and sometimes it's, if you have not been on that new road before, that might n- not all the information that you need to be able to operate well is readily observable uh, right away. Mm-hmm. For example, it could happen that you go to uh, you drive this new road for the first time. So it just so happens that maybe a stop sign uh, was stolen the night before. Right now, how can a vehicle uh, that has not operated there before knows uh, what to do in that intersection, right? Because the, the stop sign is gone, right? Or like you operate in in the new area where there's new types of intersections that you are you are not completely familiar, familiar with, or like new uh, traffic patterns, right? Uh, right. So, or you know, God forbid, you go to England and you have to drive on the other side of the road and it, you're completely it, it, confused. It, it, Exactly, exactly. So the idea that uh, vehicles that you will be able to bring a new vehicle and go on a new road that it has not seen, it doesn't have prior information, and it will have all the information it needs to be able to operate there. We will get there. We will get there. Mm -hmm. But that's really close to kind of like, you know, generalized AI. Like it it has to be really smart in terms of inferring uh, behaviors in a new, brand new situations, right? That it has not seen before. 
So in the meantime, uh, we, we think that by limiting operating areas down, we get to make sure that the vehicles, even before they operate in, in a particular road segment, it has all the information it needs already because we pre-map the area, because we pre-test the area. We know what the desired behavior should be in any road segment, right? And that just kind of makes it easier uh, for, for AV, for the AI, the machine learning behind the AV, right? Uh, that it has kind of that prior information that it can train on. Yeah, makes sense. So it sounds like for now, the expansion strategy is market by market and learning these markets accurately. Is there a strategy in terms of what markets are being expanded to? Is, is there some sort of plan there? Yeah, right, right now our focus is in the Bay Area and in Houston. These are our prior two primary markets. How did you pick Houston markets? and the Bay Area and Arizona? And, and why, why not Austin? And why not Which Austin? Is where you are. <laughs> Which is where I am. <laughs> a, lot, a, lot, a lot of factors uh, in, involved, Jennifer. Uh, the kind of three main buckets. The first one is uh, technology. So uh, the markets that we think of. Uh, you know, our technology can handle the best. Uh, there's the second uh, bucket is around regulatory environment. And the third bucket is around uh, demand, partnerships, uh, customers. So go one by okay. one. Uh, the first one on, from a technology standpoint, uh, right now with AB, we have to pick sort of a markets uh, in the Sunbelt area, uh, nice sunny weather. Got it. Right. Uh, it's also challenging for humans who have to drive in like, you know, no hazard, uh, right? So we want to make it, you know, kind of more, as easy as possible for our system. But beyond the weather, which is something that people discuss a lot, there's also uh, the physical infrastructure as well, the nature of the, the road system as well. And and, Tix, uh, and Houston has really good, high-quality network of uh, neighborhood roads, of lower-speed roads. Um, the neighborhood low-speed roads uh, tend to be pretty well-connected, uh, and the road quality tends to be good. And for a vehicle like ours, um, that is kind of a smaller vehicle that is not intended to go on highways, having this really high quality network of uh, neighborhood local roads is really critical for us, right? So that's kind of our first bucket to get you to give you sort of like high level examples. The second bu right. bucket around regulatory environment, uh, the state of Texas, the city of Houston have been really friendly uh, and collaborative with us as well in terms of uh, how how they think about adopting new technology. Um, and, you know, we, we try mm -hmm. to kind of learn about how to deploy uh, an A-B system with them. We share a lot of information with them. Uh, they also kind of work with us on uh, making sure they, they evolve the regulatory environment to to be to make sure that it's friendly for the future of AV. And in the last bucket around uh, demand and customers, um, Houston is one of the most diverse cities in America. And we want to make yeah. sure that, uh, you know, we develop our product, not just for uh, really a tech forward uh, early adopters of Silicon Valley, right? Um, a lot of folks in Silicon Valley, you know, new technology coming in and it's still crappy, but they're going to, they're going to, they're going <laughs> to take it, take it they, they love yeah. all the new technology. We <laughs> want to make sure that, that ex exactly, they're, they're like, you know, to the far end of that curve. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we, we want to, we want to see how like real customers who, who might not be reading TechCrunch, like, you know, even before they get out of yeah. bed, like would perceive a new technology like this. Can we design a technology that is so easy? and friendly and helpful 
uh, that uh, people who might not be like you know early adopters would love our service or not, right? Yeah, uh, that has been a really important part uh, of of our vision to kind of you know make mm-hmm. AV and robotics uh, readily available at scale, uh, and Houston is is perfect for that. And we have a lot of you know really big partners, uh, retailers uh, in Houston that are really excited about this technology. That's great to hear. So it sounds like the cities too, to a large extent, have like how open they are to adopting technology to working with companies influence a lot of this too. Exactly. Awesome. Okay. So let's talk about some of these partners and particularly what does this mean for us, for us consumers, day-to-day folks? I'm thinking this means, I know you, you guys announced a partnership with Uber, congratulations, and you have other partnerships to to whatever you can share with us comfortably. Just excited to learn more about what this means for us on a day-to-day basis. And what we yeah, Jennifer, the, the idea is if you, if you think about, you know, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, there's a lot of things that you need all, you know, all day, right? And we want to be, we want to be part of your, your daily life. In the morning, uh, you wake up, you might be able to order, uh, you know, breakfast and, and coffee on Uber Eats. Uh, in the afternoon, you might crave some snacks and you want to order uh, some snacks and, and ice cream from 7-Eleven. In the evening, you might want to order pizza from Domino's, right? At night, you want to order your groceries from, from Kroger and, and Walmart, right? And we want to we wanna be with you all day and we want to help you run errands, get whatever you need throughout the day. So uh, the, the big partnerships that we have announced so far include Kroger. Kroger was our very, very first uh, partner. We've been working with Kroger for uh, probably about four years now, and we've delivered for them uh, every day for the past four years out of one of their wow. locations in Houston. And that was a big part of our uh, product development process. We took over almost 100% of deliveries coming out of that Kroger store to really force us to build a system that would work with all types of customers. We're not just hand-select, like individual customers uh, who really love this technology and, you know, it's going to be the easiest use case. We, we actually do 100% of deliveries coming out of that location. Uh, and... As you may know, Kroger is the largest yeah. grocery chain in the United States. Um, so we're really proud of that partnership. Yeah. There was also uh, one of our early investors as well. Uh, then beyond Kroger, uh, as as I can tease with my example of like what we can do for you all throughout the day. Okay. Uh, another big partnership is Domino's. Um, Domino's, yeah, Domino's. Sort of the original food delivery company. They mm-hmm. pretty much invented a delivery food delivery model and optimized their store footprint all around deliveries. Um, they put a lot of money into researching how to make deliveries really efficient and how to keep the food quality really high, despite like you know you like uh, having to wait for 10, 15 minutes before pizzas get to you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, with, with a Domino's pizza. Uh, they were so excited about us. Uh, they actually ran a TV commercial campaign last year. I don't know if you got to say it. It was, it, it was fun. Uh, they wanted to show like That's... how Neuro could fit into the future of Domino's. I did. Yeah. It was uh, great. It was, it was a fun commercial. And I love the car. You're... We'll get into this as well, what your vehicles look like and what that delivery experience is like was also fascinating to see. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, our plan is to continue to expand uh, with, with, with Domino's. Uh, and beyond beyond uh, Kroger and Domino's, we also have Walmart uh, and uh, 7-Eleven, uh, mm-hmm. FedEx, 
uh, and most recently right. uh, Uber Eats uh, that we just announced that you mentioned. Uh, with yeah. Uber Eats, uh, I'm real, I'm personally real excited about this. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I think we started discussing with yeah, them probably a, a few years ago, and the conversation uh, became more sort of more serious over the past six months. And it shows the commitment on both sides to make sure that AV would work at scale. Uh, with Uber Eats in particular, there are a couple of, of things that are noteworthy. One is it's a 10-year partnership. Again, you know, we are going to learn together. Uh, we're going to start small and we're going to expand over time. And the idea is we want to, to expand this to as many customers as possible over the next decade. Uh, but another noteworthy, noteworthy part is uh, Uber Eats has an amazing reach when it comes to small and medium businesses. Right. Uh, and we want to make right. sure that uh, small, medium businesses don't get left behind uh, when a new technology like this comes along. Uh, and there's always a, a cause to adopt a new technology like this that small and medium businesses might not have the resources or technical, technical capabilities to do so. But Uber East has spent, uh, you know, the past decade or so learning how to work with uh, local mom and pop shops and small and medium businesses, how to meet, make the technology and adoption as easy as possible and the product as accessible as possible to, to these local businesses. So we are really excited. And for the first part of the pilot, we're actually going to start with local businesses. We're not going to start with big brand names. And that's, that's a big part of our, uh, of our partnership with Uber. I love the accessibility. The ones that got me really excited were FedEx and Uber Eats, because to me, these really touch a lot of people. And I can see how this can start to influence our lives, where you start to get your mail delivered by an AV in a really sustainable, efficient way. You start to get your food delivered like this. So really looking forward to seeing how that landscape evolves and, and what further markets you guys expand to. Me too, um, me too. To I live, I, live, about... I live in San Francisco, um, and I got my package stolen. If you had a package, um, so I can't wait for us to have a robot bringing my e-commerce uh, packages right. via FedEx uh, onto a robot, and then I can just securely get it uh, when when I'm home. Do you need to go out and pick it up from the vehicle? Yes, uh, you have. You have okay. to come so out you to, the curb, uh, to pick up. Yeah, yeah, that's great, especially in in those markets where more people steal packages for sure. I've been in some of those places. It is frustrating for sure. Um, excellent. Okay. So what are some of the challenges that we are coping with in the space? Yeah. The biggest one is going to continue to be on, on safety, right? Uh, uh, technology, technology like AV is, is all about safety. And mm -hmm. we are operating in the real world. Uh, it's an unstructured environment, unpredictable environment. Even when you do everything right, not all other users of the roads uh, are going to do everything right as well, right? And how do you make sure that you can navigate a lot of tricky situations and what we call in the industry called edge cases really well? So that's going to yeah. continue to be uh, the biggest challenge facing the industry. Uh, and as AV becomes more commonplace, uh, eventually uh, you are going to see more accidents with AV2, uh, right? Uh, right? If you drive hundreds of millions of miles, uh, you naturally, naturally you will get into some, some incidents, some accidents. And how do you uh, make sure that one, uh, you know, you kind of do the best that you can to try to prevent these accidents. But even when they happen, 
how to manage uh, what happens afterwards well and what that means for a public perception of the technology, that's also going to be really critical too. Absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head, right? With the public perception, I can just see, I think different people have different impressions of autonomous vehicles or even personal autonomous vehicles. And we've gone through all the scenarios of in the event of an accident where driving in of itself with a human being is so unsafe. If you have an autonomous vehicle that's driving so much more, you will inevitably get into such a scenario, hopefully much, much lower incidence of that, but still, and, and how do we manage public perception? What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I think it's probably like a couple components uh, for this one. The first yeah. one is we have, we have to collaborate with uh, local authorities um, and AV is just so new. Um, I, I, I don't know if you saw maybe a couple months ago, there was a, a viral video of a, a, one of our peers, uh, Cruz, one of their vehicles got right. pulled over yes. by a cop. And then a yes. uh, cop uh, came over and, and the vehicle ran away from, from the cop. <laughs> uh, granted, the vehicle was doing the right things because uh, when it first got pulled over, it was double parking. And I think it was kind of looking for, uh, for a safer uh, parking yeah. spot. Right. Uh, but uh, as funny as that was, that just shows, um, you know, how important uh, the education process is going to be for both AV companies and local authorities, right? Um, this is not the kind of technology that you can kind of, you know, sometimes Silicon Valley has this ethos of, of moving fast and breaking things and not asking for permission, asking for forgiveness, right? And we're going to deploy right away uh, and we're going to, you know, see the impact. Uh, of the technology that, that you're building later, right? This is not yeah. going to work. This, that, that ethos is not going to work. And this technology has so many implications on local authorities, on tr local traffic patterns, on communities. You have to go in. You have to be part of the community. You have to work with local enforcement, law enforcement. You have to work with local city halls. You have to work with local communities for them to understand what you're trying to do why are you trying to do it and how this is going to make their lives easier and better, right? Uh, you can't just go in once something happens. You have to go in ahead of time. So for us, um, we've been working really closely with, with local communities, with city halls, uh, in, all, uh, in all areas we operate in, uh, with the state legislature, with uh, regulators at all levels, right? So that's, that's one part of the equation. The second part of the equation, too, is aside from working uh, on, 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 uh, on community engagement, you also have to be sure that your system is safe, too, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you can't, uh, you know, if your system is not safe, if you're not confident about your performance, you can't just, you know, do a PR and, and hope that, like, you know, the local community is going to embrace you, right? Eventually, it's, it's going to, you know... Like once you operate, start operating a scale, you're going to see, statistically speaking, like how your system is doing, right? So we have to be extra confident that, you know, our system works and works well and is safe. And we have taken all the, all the uh, you know, steps necessary to make sure that our system is as safe as it can be, right? Uh, and, and that's kind of like what we talked about earlier around uh, our mock city uh, close yeah. course, course validation, the simulation that we do, right? Uh, we have to do this to prove to ourselves uh, and, and others that the system is going to be safer than a human driver. 
Yeah. I really like what you mentioned about bringing people in, working with them, involving them in the process. So law enforcement, city councils, cities that you're in, people. And I really believe it's just about educating folks beforehand. So they're more familiar with it because if we're not familiar, then it feels scary. And, but if we know all the good things and the potential risks, then we can be more with it. Uh, so I would even add that, uh, it's not, Education process makes it sound like it's one way, like we go into educate local communities. It's actually both ways, actually goes both ways. We also want to hear their concerns. Uh, we want to hear how they approach, how they think about self-driving cars and uh, driverless vehicles coming down on their local roads. What that means in terms of the type of behaviors, the type of vehicles that we have to build. And all of this feedback goes back into our product development process. And one of the things that we've spent a lot of time on is, is uh, the design of the vehicle, mm-hmm. right? Um, the, we want to make sure that uh, the first robotic vehicle driving down your neighborhood don't feel like some kind of, you know, robocops and robotic or spaceship <laughs> <laughs> coming to take over your communities. We yeah. want the vehicles to feel safe and friendly and almost cute. Uh, yeah. right? uh, the idea of like really large vehicles coming down your local neighborhood at 65 miles an hour and it's just mm-hmm. like you know you look inside the vehicle there's no drivers it's, it's scary to most people right so that's why uh if you go on our website and you look at our vehicle it's like it you, you can't help it's but adorable smile. it's adorable yeah. um and we actually spend a lot of time you look at the front uh, it has like dimples uh because yeah. we want to make it seem like the vehicle is smiling at you Right. Uh, we want the vehicle to be smaller, to feel like it's, it's friendlier. And, and Jennifer, mm-hmm. every time um, I go to a local communities and I see uh, the general public, like, you know, seeing our vehicles for the first time and, you know, people like to bring their kids uh, to play yeah. without a vehicle. And, you know, every time I, I see kids uh, experiencing our vehicle, they, they would just kind of personify our vehicle. They would just call it, hey, where is the neural? Uh, they yeah. Buy and buy to the neuro, right? And, and that's part of what we think uh, it would take to get this technology adopted. We have to make it feel like the technology just disappears and it just feels like this is part of your community, right? Uh, and we abstract away all the complexity uh, and makes it seamless and makes it seem uh, and friendly and approachable. Yeah, that's so critical. I think I remember seeing from your website and looking up Neuro that in part of your product design, you even realized something to do with the height and the way that your doors open up. You needed to adjust the height so that it wouldn't hit people on the head and would be more accessible. I like that you have even the little compartments where it's easy to just get yours, but not compromise someone else's parcel. So all of this, these product design components. And then, like you said, like getting input from the community as well, from folks and seeing what lands, what doesn't. Uh, Exciting times. The future is here. One question, you mentioned one of the other players like Cruz, another player, Rivian, that they're in the EV space. And I know we talked about fleets and this being the first use case before we can start to have personal autonomous vehicles or PAVs. Uh, So they, they just have a deal with Amazon that I saw where they have these EV fleets. And we mentioned some of your partnerships, the difference between EVs versus AVs. I know one of the downsides potentially with AVs is potentially job loss, right? That comes with it without needing a driver, but there are, you could argue the other upsides there, but how would you think about a company going for a fleet of EVs versus AVs? Yeah, uh, they 
they're, they're related technologies. Um, and I, I would say that AVs kind of stands on the shoulder of the giant that is EV, uh, right? Ultimately, our vehicle is, is EV uh, as well. And that's part of why we, we believe that this is going to be better for the environment. Two question on um, how will uh, AV impact, um, you know, the, the job market and how should we think about AV in general? Um, I, I, I think this, that's, in, in general, that's kind of the topic um, where when you have a new technology coming in, um, what tends to happen is um, you, you have job losses and then you have job gains yeah. uh, in certain other areas as well, right? And that has been really kind of the story of the past, uh, you know, the, the past few centuries uh, after the industrial revolution, really. Uh, so when, when it comes to, to our product in particular, we are sort of in a business of automating logistics. Um, and we kind of, what we are trying to replace is, uh, obviously we, we may end up replacing some uh, drivers, but more so than that, we actually want to replace uh, your, your own trips uh, to local stores, right? In fact, as I, as I mentioned, you know, like 40% of the vehicle trips are still you running errands yourself. Right. Uh, so if these trips get replaced instead of you driving, uh, you know, a vehicle that might not be environmentally friendly, we replace it with our vehicles instead. There's going to be more jobs kind of created in a value chain. All of a sudden, right now, when you go to a store, you like, you know, just pick items from the shelves yourself. Now, like with partner like Kroger, what we've seen is that we help them create more volume, more delivery volume. And that actually ends up creating more jobs uh, for people who actually pick and pack items for you at the local store. Uh, the yeah. pilot that we had with Domino's uh, last year shows that they actually have to hire more people to handle the volume, right? Uh, and handle kind of, you know, loading the pieces onto the vehicle itself. So, and then uh, within the AV system itself, we also have, uh, you know, operators who have to monitor the vehicles remotely. We have folks who have to, uh, technicians who have to maintain uh, the vehicles, uh, continue to keep the vehicles, ca- this, all the sensors calibrated, uh, right? In fact, uh, we are working with a local community college in Menlo Park to create a new program to train uh, AV technicians because we believe that that's going to be a new area uh, of like, you know, kind of new job area that doesn't exist before. And we actually are facing a labor shortage in, in many of these components uh, throughout the value chain. So, so Jennifer, it's a... Uh, after all, you know, it's a, it's a tricky situation uh, and it's, it's kind of hard to project and predict how uh, the job market will, will play out. We do believe that uh-huh. there will be new jobs getting created because of our new technology. And we try to uh, do our best being part of this community, uh, working with different uh, parties to make sure that there's kind of new types of trainings and sort of upskill, reskill needed to happen to kind of channel more folks, more people into our AV industry. And I'm sure that's something that's also great for communities to know where you're going to launch AVs that, hey, this isn't going to reduce the number of jobs. There's actually more jobs to be created because of this. So that's really great to hear. Patch, I have the privilege of knowing you personally, and I know you have an incredible story that I want to touch on before I let you go. So I know you're from Thailand. You started Teach for Thailand, and now you're here in this space and lots of very, very cool things in between. I wanted to kind of get your take on what led you to the autonomous vehicle space. Yeah, I keep telling people that if you go on my LinkedIn, my my LinkedIn doesn't (laughs) make any sense at all. Uh, (laughs) But hey, that's that's life, right? 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. I to go all the way back. Uh, I started on the engineering side. Uh, I started coding when I was ten years old. Um, in, in fact, I actually created a, a parenting website when I was ten years old. Um, and, no big that's, deal. That's a, that's a that's a story for another time. Uh, and I always <laughs> thought I was going to become become an engineer. Um, studied CS uh, back in college. Uh, for some reason, ended up as a as a consult management consultant. Eventually, left to start an education nonprofit. Uh, grew it to more than hundred people. Eventually, found my way to the heavy industry. So, as, mm-hmm. as you as you mentioned, it's sort of like things don't look like they connect. Uh, but uh, I like to tell people that that one common thread is um, I from the first product that I that I built uh, the, the parenting website I built when I was ten. Um, I became sort of addicted to kind of seeing that, hey, I can actually have an impact on the world. I can actually build yeah. something that people love uh, and people get to experience it and use it on a daily basis. And, you know, it becomes a part of their lives. Uh, and kind of the drive to kind of build something that would be of value to a broader set of users has become sort of like maybe imprinted in me since I was a kid. And then sort of like the past, uh, you know, 20, 30 years of my life in kind of different, uh, in different types of jobs. It's kind of me looking for how I can apply this passion of me building something that matters and seeing kind of how users, how people interact with what I built to different channels, to different in- industries and kind of chasing, trying to see like what's, uh, you know, how I can maximize my impact that way. And then like, you know, five years ago, uh, I ran into then sort of like a startup in a stealth mode that was that is yeah. new, uh, and we had maybe fifty people at that point, one year old. No one has heard of it. Uh, the website was basically like one giant black, empty black page, uh, and yeah. I got curious on what they were trying to do. And after I learned more uh, from the founders of uh, their vision, I realized that wow, this is <laughs> this is really going to change the world, uh, and wanted I wanted to be part of this. What a great story. I love that at 10 years old, you built a parenting website. You're obviously thinking, hey, I know every, I know what I want my parents to be doing. Let me help. Uh, and Not, no, uh, actually, I'm it kidding. Was, I'm kidding. My, my parents wrote a lot of parenting books uh, because my, my, oh, dad, okay. my, dad, my dad was an a pediatrician and my mom is OBGYN. Uh, so okay. they, they co-wrote a lot of parenting books uh, to, Look at together. you, you're just such a helper. <laughs> you're like, let me help them. Share no, <laughs> this knowledge. It was actually the other way around. I plagiarized all of their books and upload, uploaded all of their books online. It became free and no one like bought their books anymore. And my parents were too happy that, that no one They're like, where are my profits? <laughs> it, 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 exactly. And, uh, funny story was, uh, I think when it was 10 or 11, I would go on a couple of radio shows, and this is all back in Thailand, uh, and, and people would call me uh, Dr. Petch, uh, thinking that it was sort <laughs> of like, you know, a really, like a, a 50-year-old uh, wise dad, uh, <laughs> like writing all the, all the tips and tricks on parenting until they heard my voice. They were like, wow, you sounded really young. <laughs> wow, you sounded really young. <laughs> I love it. No, but it sounds like again, just from a young age, you've just always been very ingenious and industrious, and I'm. I love to see how it's played out. To today, Neuro's grown so much in six years. Right, you guys are thirteen hundred people ish. Series D, really moving the industry forward. What are you really excited about these days? 
Yeah, um, I mean, we are like fourteen hundred people now. Uh, wow, a, a, a lot, a lot of things uh, that I'm I'm really excited about. I think taking taking a step back, Jennifer. Um, if you think about it, right, uh, when you have like a, a new technology that is so upstream in the value chain that comes up to the market for the first time, people can't really imagine what hap- what's going to happen after that. Right. Imagine uh, the first time like cars became a thing, right? Cars were created, uh, you know, or were, was, uh, became a mass market product maybe 100 years ago. They created the concept of highways and they created a concept of road trips and you being able to work far further away from your homes uh, and kind of changing like how people move, how people get around. Right. But it also created a concept of like, you know, clock traffic and big box retailers and, and you know, massive parking lots uh, as well. And many of these implications, no one could have imagined when cars were first created. Similarly, like when smartphones uh, became a mass market product about 15 years ago with the iPhone, right? Uh, people didn't imagine that it was going to create uh, a new generation of apps and products like Uber, like DoorDash. Now you can get anything you want. You can go anywhere with a tip of your finger, right? Uh, you can keep in touch with all of your friends and video calls and FaceTime really easily on this platform. And people couldn't quite imagine uh, that uh, back in 2006, 2007. Similarly, I think we kind of on the cusp of that, where right now, like what we can see is the most immediate impact, the most immediate products and applications of the technology, which is, okay, we're going to get things to you faster. Okay, we're going to make the experience of your commute uh, more nicer, right? But these are sort of like a first primary set of impacts that's going to happen because of the technology. But what's going to happen next, secondary, tertiary uh, level of impact? Like no one could quite imagine that yet. Like, you know, right and now we're exploring a lot of really cool, interesting concepts. Hey, uh, if you have these vehicles coming to your place, say, Jennifer, you order a pair of shoes. Now we have more space uh, in our compartments. What if we bring plus minus sizes uh, to you directly and kind of have the vehicle wait for you while you like, you know, try out like different sizes. We kind of testing out new concepts uh, like, hey, what if we create a, a store that when you do kind of food delivery, we kind of you know have desserts, have healthy salads uh, next to it so you can grab them as well, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, the, what, what's going to happen next? Like, you know, no, no one truly knows, right? And I think that's what yeah. makes uh, my job really excite- exciting. I uh, get to kind of co-create uh, some of the future new applications, new products with my team, but I also get to get to see as well, like, you know, what, what, what else might be possible because of this technology. That sounds so exciting. Taking it back to the future as we wrap up what's in store for us. I can't wait to see what's next, Fetch. Yeah, me too.